Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us today as we continue talking about different Catholic topics. Uh, my name is Father Daniele, and I'm joined always by Josh Sullivan over here Hello. and Matt Van Milligan. Welcome to you guys. It's a miracle that we're all gathered together still <laughs> in this time. We're, we're back to normal now. We're out of, well, we're not back to normal, I shouldn't say, but, but we're out of strict lockdowns. There seems I to guess. be a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Yes. Like kind of starting, okay, we got step two, potentially step three. Yeah. Hey, you know, 21 days. 21 and I, days. I, I wanted to thank you for our conversation last week when we talked about the discovery in Kamloops. Uh, we had lots of reaction this week uh, from yeah. people. Uh, even uh, we have uh, an email uh, from uh, an indigenous man in Kamloops who sent us an email this yeah. week thanking cool. us for our conversation. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to respond to those as much as we can this week. And uh, today we're talking about something that we were going to talk about last week, but because that was more of an important thing to talk about, uh, the discovery in Kamloops, we kind of pushed this conversation uh, last Sunday, not uh, this past Sunday, but a week ago Sunday, what is that, 10 days ago, yeah. uh, was the Feast of Corpus Christi, That's right. uh, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Jesus. And uh, that gets us to talk a little bit about, well, obviously about the Eucharist, but about Eucharistic miracles, because there are a lot of people that don't know about Eucharistic miracles that have happened in the life of the church and in the world. So we were going to do this last week, but we thought it was still an important topic to talk about, even though it's a bit late away from the Feast of Corpus Christi. But you can never go wrong talking about the Eucharist. Never. Eh? Source and summit, right? The, the source, source and, summit of, and our summit of our faith. So let's just quickly, um, the Feast of Corpus Christi is to, to call that to mind. That, yeah. you know, I mean, every time we gather for Mass is a celebration of the Eucharist, is a celebration of the body and blood of Christ. But this solemnity was set aside uh, because, actually, because of a miracle. Of a miracle. So yeah. Pope Urban IV, this is in the year 1284, and I only know this because I talked about it <laughs> a week and a half ago during my homily, <laughs> so it's still fresh in my mind. Uh, I just didn't know about Pope Urban, like, for no, for no reason, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got, yeah. got all the popes Pope memorized. Pope Urban IV. That's yeah. part of the priesthood, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so Pope Urban IV uh, responded to this Eucharistic miracle that happened, yeah. I, I believe a, a year prior. Um, this priest, his name was uh, Father Peter of Prague, um, Father Pietro da Praga, and um, he had doubt in his heart uh, that Jesus was fully present in the Eucharist. Yeah. So what happened was during the celebration of the Mass, that he was, when he was holding the host at the consecration, where the host becomes the body of Jesus, the host began to bleed and, and bleed so much that it dripped onto the altar yeah. and onto the floor. Yeah. Like, so this was obviously, you Troubling know. Troubling. <laughs> for him. <laughs> for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, just a little doubt. But, you know, I said this a week and a half ago. I'll say it again. Uh, God works miracles when we're in doubt. Eh? Yeah. He wants to get past our doubts. Anyways, as a reaction to this, um, Pope Urban thought, hey, we need to set aside a Sunday. Maybe the Lord's telling us we need more of a Eucharistic focus. So he set aside a Sunday on the, Eucharist, on, the, on the church calendar to celebrate Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Jesus. I believe Thomas Aquinas is also involved in that somehow, right? Because he was around that Pope's... Uh... Thomas Aquinas has all the great like, Eucharistic hymns yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he is the one that... There's something to do with the Pope at, discussing it with Thomas Aquinas at the time. Like There, were, there was some feedback back and forth about this solemnity so it's kind of cool yeah it is very neat so we're going to talk about those eucharistic miracles what does it mean 
Uh, how often have they happened? Yeah. Uh, have they been investigated? Yeah. Are they true? And which ones does the church approve of? Which ones uh, do not? Because really, neat, I mean, we were talking about today is uh, like one happened as recent as a few years ago with Pope Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I think it's really cool. Okay, I think to start off with, what do Catholics believe about the Eucharist? Just so that we can kind of get, if you're listening to the first time, you can go back through our podcast. There, We've done a couple of episodes on, on the, Eucharist. the Eucharist. Yes. But like Catholics, we believe that it's the, sor- the source and summit of our faith, but it is it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. It's not about a symbol. It's not about, there's actually transubstantiation happens and it becomes the true presence of of Christ, and that's why we genuflect when we go into church. That's why we, we treat it with reverence, um, and it's like we had, there's a bunch of things that go around. It's one of the only sacraments that we believe that Christ comes down on earth, other than you know God being all around us and all that. Like this is true presence down on earth and, and transforms into, but these uh, into body and blood of Christ. These Eucharistic miracles that have happened kind of give us proof, and not only a little bit of proof, give us scientific proof. And the cool thing about the Catholic Church that I would just want to mention is that the Church actually sends out double-blind studies on these Eucharistic miracles to universities, to whatever, and gets like doesn't tell them what it's from, doesn't tell them what it's for, doesn't tell them anything. I need you to test this for me and come back and tell me what you think. Like, what is it? Where did it come from? How's it going? What's going on here? Like what? And doesn't tell them it's a miracle. It doesn't tell them anything. Just go tell me. You don't have any knowledge of it. I want you to test it in your expertise. Tell me what it is. And so they don't like, it's not like the Vatican takes it into the private room, does their own private studies on it and, and comes out and says, oh, it's a true miracle, yeah, exactly. right? Like they actually get the world to test it, the world to do it. The uh, World Health Organization did their own studies on some of the miracles that we're going to talk about. Um, uh, a couple of universities that we can mention too that did like true studies and they are stumped. It's true miracles. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I, maybe it's a good part, a time to uh, just differentiate because every mass where, where the body and blood of Jesus is consecrated on the altar is a miracle in itself. That's right. But when we're talking about Eucharistic miracles today, we're talking about these sort of manifestations yeah. happening in the Eucharist. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good place to start because like in, in the examples that we're going to talk about, a, a lot of the pretext or a lot of the context for these miracles is someone having doubts about the real presence yeah. of, of yeah. Christ within within the Eucharist. And even like you go back to the Bible, you go back to uh, John uh, um, John chapter 6, yeah. um, where he's saying like, unless you, like this is truly my blood, this is truly yeah. my body. Um, and people had a hard time with that. And people have had a hard time uh, with that since, and yeah. you know, even when we're talking to our RCIA ca- candidates about like how, what's actually happening here, it's like it's it's hard. It's hard for us because we don't uh, we don't have that kind of philosophical framework. But like you have you have scholars like Thomas Aquinas who are like really really good at explaining like you know substantial properties, accidental properties, and like it retains the visible appearance of this. But it's like a lot of times it's hard for us to grapple with, and it leaves a lot of room for doubt. So. Um, looking at these miracles, looking at um, uh, where, you know, the actual property of blood uh, and flesh actually manifest in a visible way is, yeah, it's just a really incredible uh, affirmation of, of what Jesus said yeah, in the Bible. Exactly. And one of the most famous, if not the most famous yeah, miracle yeah. is in, from Lanciano, Italy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so when, when people talk about Eucharistic miracles, they often have this image of a, of a host that's 
kind of been bloodied and, and fleshy looking, mm -hmm. right? Sitting in the monstrance that we would sitting normally see during adoration or something. Yeah, sitting in the yeah. luna yeah, exactly. of luna. the monstrance, yeah. yes. So th would, th would that have been the first recorded? One? I think it's the first one that is proven and still, because it, it, what people don't realize is this is still going on today. Sure. And so um, that, that miracle, similar thing, right? Uh, do you want to explain the miracle first of what happened? Like it, it, was, it was doubt. The priest was saying that, and then it turned it turned bloody and into flesh, I believe, in his hands, uh, and from it was from a priest doing saying mass. And the cool thing is, I believe it's on the feast day of of specific feast day. Maybe it's the feast day of Corpus Christi or whatnot. It actually turns back into it, like it starts mm -hmm. to coagulate and look like flesh that's mm -hmm. been left out um, and blood that has been left out for about a year. And then on the feast day, on a specific feast day, anyways, it turns back into Fresh flesh yeah. and blood. The blood liquefies. Liquefies, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and and fresh. And so they've actually done tests on it too. And they so now that we're back um, where we have the scientific proof to prove it, the World Health Organization, this is the one, 750 it happened. It's been being honored and venerated and adored because it's, it's truly God present in the Eucharist there um, by Catholics for years, decades, generations. Um, but in 1973, I think it was, was the World Health Organization said, okay, you think this is a miracle, let us do our tests on it. And so the church allowed it to happen, let them do their tests on it. And I think they did something like 15, I can't remember exactly the number, but it was something like 1,500 uh, tests were done on it, different ways, different styles and everything else. And it basically comes out to uh, some of the information that they actually have. So one of the big ones that's kind of cool, um, the blood, in the Lanciano miracles, and yeah. this is so. Here's the next part. After the Lanciano miracles, um, there were other miracles that were that happened that the church found. So we have um, things that like Eucharist hosts started bleeding, um, things turned to flesh, but they never stayed flesh. Or not that they didn't stay flesh, but they didn't continuously turn to flesh like Lanciano does. Um, and so when it got to the point that now that we can scientifically um, verify what's going on those miracles that have happened, we just don't have, they're not around anymore, the, the altar cloths aren't around or whatever, so we can't test them and we can't prove. So the church says, well, they're probably miracles, but we can't verify them being miracles because we don't have anything to prove or test or whatever else. And the church is very specific about what it scientifically calls a miracle because it doesn't want to lead people astray. So exactly. they go in, the devil's advocate, you've heard about that before, that comes from the saying of the church sending the devil's advocate the, the person to go in and disprove the miracle on, on the behalf of the church to yeah. say, okay, this is why it's false. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about all these tests that are being done to, yeah. I mean, remember, this started at, like, this was a piece of bread yeah. that started at Mass um, through the prayers of the Mass, the consecration, uh, we believe, becomes the Eucharist. That's what it was. And now, through all those tests that you're talking about, yeah. was tested and it was found to have human proteins uh, I believe the one in Lanciano had type AB blood. blood. Yeah. yeah. Like this, uh, this is truly a miracle. Like all those tests that you're talking about have, have concluded the same. Yeah. Result. Well, not only that. Okay. So let's go through it. So they did some tests. Yeah. So the big one is AB blood. They found out AB blood. The proteins in it, they could tell that it was uh, a man's blood. Kind of cool. Um, but also that there's a very specific diet of this, of the proteins in the blood. 
So that's one other kind of cool thing. Uh, probably a Jewish man because there was no pork proteins or those types of things found in the blood. Uh, 33 years of age, oh, I think it was 30 to 35 years of age was what right. they, they guessed from the bloods and stuff like that. Uh, or it might have been 25 to 35, I can't remember. There, but there, it, was, it, was, in the right it was in the right framework, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, one of the cool things is when they took uh, the Eucharistic miracles that had flesh, uh, like Lanciano, when they, when they studied that, they found out that it was, I have it written down here, the flesh is a human myocardium tissue of the left ventricle of an inflamed heart. And so for specifically in the miracles, we'll talk about them in a second, from Argentina and Poland, there was evidence of trauma uh, from the presence of thrum thrumbi and indicating repeated lacks of oxygen. So they could tell that this heart wasn't just a heart. It was a heart of a man and all that other stuff, but, but, but was in um, stress and at within hours of death because of certain proteins and certain the lack of oxygen that's present someone who's lost a lot of blood someone it's just a miracle and this is the scientific community what they do is they basically give the um they give the whole thing over to scientists and just say okay tell us what you can about this blood not only did they do that but a lot of the scientists came back and said we have never seen a fresher sample like you must have taken it and like from the person and giving it to us, what's going on? That's amazing. I know, and then so it's so it, it, it and when and when the scientists find out what they've been studying, there's been conversions on the spot. Sure, you know what I mean? Because they go like, oh my gosh, like this is. Remember, it started as a Eucharistic piece. Of, like, it yeah, started as exactly. a piece of bread. And and, and 750 AD. These are people yeah. from 1973 or even now in 1993 or 1995 or 2000, um, and and they're studying these these miracles. So up until that point, from 750 up until 1990s, there hasn't been a lot of confirmed miracles, Eucharistic miracles. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been a lot, like I said before, that the scientific community couldn't confirm just because the science wasn't there and everything else yeah. and by the time things happened. But since 1990, the church goes out and makes sure that they're scientifically confirmed, if there are some. And there are two that happens very specifically uh, in the time that the Pope. So in 1992 and 1996, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, um, there were cases there. There were cases there where where the um, Eucharist was dropped, and so in in I don't know if it's the practice now. You can take the host if it's dropped on the floor. No one wants to consume it at that time. Then you can take it. You put it in a cup of water so it can dissolve in the tabernacle, and then later on you can take that take the host the dissolved host in water. It should all be dissolved should by the plant. If it's dissolved, then you can. Uh, dispose of it in the sacraria, which is a special sink that we have. Most churches have in a sacristy, uh, where the piping does not go down into plumbing. Yeah, it goes directly into the ground. So that's what usually you say about uh, holy things that you put them into the ground, uh, not into the piping. Uh, so it ends up in the sewer. That, like, that's right. Know. Yeah, you don't want. Yes. Yeah, you don't want it. So after, it. so after it's been in water, you can dispose of it in that. But that's very. That's you know. That's not, not very often. Exactly. It yeah. shouldn't happen often. Yeah. And, and that, so what happened yeah. was they did that in two cases, 1992 and 96, they did this. And in both cases, um, the blood, where is it here? Uh, right here. So the consecrated particles left on the carpool were put into water to dissolve in the tabernacle. <clears throat> after this, okay, I'll read up here. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm being told I'm given some scratchiness. Um, right again, okay, so then it was dissolved. And then what happened was the, the crumbs and stuff that they had put into this water to dissolve yeah. um, became a red substance. They didn't know what it was. And so they called the bishop. And at that time, it was, um, it was the archbishop, sorry, of Buenos Aires, 
who is Pope Francis today. Um, and in 96, the same kind of thing happened. And, and so what they did was they put it in a tabernacle and they left it. And then I believe the very first time it happened, the Pope said, leave it for a month. Leave it like, like that's, that's cool. Um, don't tell anybody about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was after a week or something or after a couple of days. Leave it in the tabernacle for a month. And they did. And it didn't, didn't go anywhere. It was still there. It didn't right. dissolve anymore or anything else. And so at that time, they started to look into it. And they started actually... So again, the cool part about this is they went and got it tested. They gave it a double-blind study. They gave it to... Um, for this one, I think it was the University of Columbia. And they said, okay, tell us what you think this is. And they went through, and that's where some of the testing they got. Okay, this is heart tissue. This is this, this, this. One of the freshest tissues that we've received. Where did you get it from? Because they're kind of like going, like, why is the church giving us heart tissue from a fresh heart tissue from a man that was under duress, uh, yes. you know, it looks like they're in hours of death and all that kind of stuff. Like what's going on here? Yeah. And they told them where it was and they couldn't believe it. And so they did more tests on it and they, and, and they started the, the university sent out tests to see, and it was the same thing and it was fresh. So the blood coming out was still fresh as if it just left the body. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking of blessed Carlo Acutis, that 15 year old mm -hmm. boy who, be, was a became a blessed last year, yeah. um, and he's on his way to sainthood because you know he spent a lot of time playing his video games and stuff. But he but he used his time on the internet to catalog Eucharistic miracles yeah. across the world. Now on his website, which you could still find today, there are over 140, 150 yeah. Eucharistic miracles. Um, what Josh is saying here is that the church has really approved um, approved is that the right word I think confirmed confirmed I think confirmed is the right word. yeah so why is it important for the church to um, I think because that, that is interesting because you, you want to say like that there are uh, five for a handful that you have enough information to kind of verify that doesn't mean that all the rest are you know Thanks. are <laughs> yeah are, are people just kind of claiming these, that they're either at different stages of verification mm -hmm. or they're, they're still conducting tests. They don't have enough information to verify. Um, or in, in some cases, it could be someone trying to get attention. And so, um, and I think when we talk about this, or at least at least my um, uh, from my perspective, encountering it for the first time, there's there's a measure of skepticism. Like and even 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 from priests who like who have experienced this, yeah. um, that it's like okay, that that sounds a bit strange just just on the surface. Um, and what kind of uh, helped me along was that the church actually shares <laughs> that degree of skepticism. Yeah. That it's not just a like you kind of said it's not a it's not a man behind a curtain pulling levers and knobs like trying to like pass something off as something that it's not. Um, it's that usually the people who have experienced these are, are kind of shocked and alarmed and, you know, confused at what's happening, and it takes kind of further tests to, um, to verify. Um, but as kind of like, uh, you know, uh, one of my interests is kind of philosophy of science and what, like, verification in science actually involves. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, uh, in the history of science, like, it's, it's difficult to, um, you know, claim certain knowledge. Um, so that, uh, and, and the, uh, what we were saying, the church sets a pretty high bar um, yes. for, you know, what it, what it takes to verify one yeah. of these. Like, the, there can be no situation where someone's able to tamper with um, the evidence, tamper with yeah. the, you know, the, the, the samples, the yeah. um, whatever. Like, if, if there's any, uh, and coming back to your point, that there are probably a lot more 
um, real Eucharistic miracles that we just don't have the information to verify. Um, and the church doesn't employ, like uh, a lot of times, if you look at the, relation, the historical relationship between kind of faith and science, that there's uh, sometimes a criticism from kind of the scientific worldview to say that, you know, the church takes this kind of God in the gaps idea that, you know, um, everything we can't explain must, is, be, God. must be God. And yeah. but as our as the explanatory power of, you know, the material science increases, that kind of edges God out of the picture. Um, that, um, that that isn't the case with how the church views science at all. Um, but also, but specifically here, that it's not like, well, we don't have enough information, so it's probably true. That it's, yeah, there's, yeah. there needs to be a reasonable onus of scientific proof that um, there's no reasonable scientific explanation um, so that we can accurately classify it as a miracle. Um, and that like, th this, is, this is the case also for you know, miracles in the Gospels, that it's like yeah. um, uh, C.S. Lewis kind of famously <laughs> kind of talked about miracles um, and that you, know, you have, and, and he was encountering different kind of modernist humanist uh, you know, forces at the time to say that it's like, well, explain away the miracles in the Gospels because miracles are impossible scientifically. And you're saying, that's the definition of a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> that you don't, like, you don't have a rational scientific explanation for something that you can verify to be true. That it's right. not just, it's not something that just doesn't have an explanation. Yeah. It's that you have, you know, direct tried every experience single, yeah. of something, so like something undeniable that has no, has no explanation and you won't arrive at an explanation you know, if you just acquire more data or if your process of experimentation just becomes better. Yeah. It's just that you can have all of that data and you know, perfect methodology, it's still going to be inexplicable. So. That was kind of cool. I mean, a little bit of a sidetrack, but on the same kind of note, I, I was looking up um, statues specifically and mm. crying statues where there's oil or tears right. or blood coming from the eyes and everything else. It was a TV show I was watching that I saw some things and I thought, I wonder, okay, what does the church do to explain this or how does it? And, and actually a lot of the crying statues that have come about have been statues of the Virgin Mary or of Jesus or whatever. And these statues and crying have actually been proven by the church. The church gets involved and the very first thing the church does was kind of like what Jesus says, okay, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody because we don't want this to be public opinion. We want it to test it out and try it out. And in a lot of cases, so some of the th things was they would go in and they test out the blood. The blood of a Virgin Mary crying was it was a man's blood. And then when they went to test the person who owned the statue, they said, no, you're not allowed to test me. And then when they finally yeah. got a court order and stuff like that, they figured it out, okay. So like they went through and, and there was like, because it drew pilgrims at certain times mm -hmm. in history, right? It would draw people to your your church or your city or your whatever. And you can make good money off of it at a fair or whatever, trying to show off these statues. Um, so, but the church would go in with these ideas of, okay, we're going to go prove it wrong. And they proved almost, not all statues, but most statues that kind of came forward there that like, they, they could prove most of them wrong. I think there's one statue only that the church still hasn't confirmed that it's a miracle, but they are leaning on the side of most scientific data has proven us like has proven that this is a miracle. Um, we're still like there's there's just not that extra edge to knock it into miracle status. But yeah. but like if people want to worship there, we're going to keep that in the church, and we're not going to we're not going to say it's not a miracle, but we're not going to say it is a miracle necessarily. Yeah. So things like that that happen. Uh, there was a, there was a because a lot of the Eucharistic miracles that we're talking about start from a priest or someone who has doubt. And, yeah. Uh, the Eucharist bleeds or whatever, but there is one that approved by the church from Holland mm -hmm. where Eucharist was thrown into a fire. That's a cool, yeah. I mean, it's, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But yeah. that is a cool one because if you think about it, anybody who's received the Eucharist in presence and in form, if if you don't believe that it's the body and blood of is the body of Christ, you look at it, it's a little wafer. Right. I would imagine unconsecrated, this little wafer could be a nice piece of kindling. You know right. what I mean? Like that could burn really well. Um, but yeah, this one was tossed into the fire. Uh, uh, many of them? Or, uh, I, th- I can't remember exactly yeah. that for that one. But it was tossed into the fire and left unscathed. Everything else was burnt to a crisp except for the hosts that were in that in the fire. And so that's like that's a really cool. Yes. And, and could you imagine sitting there just going like, oh, how, how does this happen? This, yeah. You know, everything above, below, around, side to side. So, um, so that's the fire aside. Yeah. Some of them come uh, as a result of doubt. Okay. So maybe there's something for us here who doubt. You know, there's people who doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of people when when you know you have people who come to mass uh, every Sunday yeah. who may not totally believe in the real presence of Jesus. Sadly. <laughs> Then you have people who come to the, uh, who obviously don't believe in the real presence of Jesus, even though they're Catholic, because uh, I would assume if people believed that this was the real Jesus that we're receiving every Sunday, you they would be here on Sunday, they would be at Mass on Sunday, and there's lots of Catholics who don't attend Mass. I think the yeah. numbers are around less than 10% or 12% or, yeah. 12% or something like that uh, in, in Canada. At, Especially now. Catholics <laughs> attend Mass, yeah. COVID outside helped. of our capacity <laughs> yeah. researches for COVID. Um, so obviously there's people have doubt, mm-hmm. right? Or people don't have a proper mm-hmm. understanding. What can these Eucharistic miracles teach us or, or, or help those who have these doubts or have these, um, you know, maybe not a proper belief in the Eucharist? What can they do for us? Yeah. I, would, I would say that like that just, just the fact that they exist is a, is a visible grace. So people can, especially now that we have the internet, we can say a good thing for the internet, um, that people can investigate these, that, that they can do the research, that it's not as though you're just getting this secondhand from your, you know, your overly pious old aunt. That this, yeah. is, this is something that people can look into if people have doubts. If people are interested in kind of like the, the philosophical, you know, substantial, accidental properties of, the, like, looking at, at the Eucharist that way. But it is, it is a visible grace. It's, it's a way that we can recognize in a non-theoretical, non-abstract way that Christ is present, is fully present in the Eucharist, um, and that um, you know there have been these spectacular, miraculous moments in history where that has been so manifest that it's been undeniable. So it's it's a great uh, bridge for our doubt, if that makes sense. That it's we don't just have to wrap our minds around this. There's you know actual uh, uh, you can go and see these if you're if you're that. And that's, yeah. yeah, thanks for mentioning that because you can, you can yeah. go to these churches uh, that have like Lanciano, for yeah. example. Yeah. Like you can go yeah. and, see and see the bloodied host, uh, the bloodied Eucharist. Yeah, it would be cor- cora- coragulated. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be, it would be hardened. I can't I'm remember. not trying. I'm yeah, not okay, trying. okay, I can't remember. <laughs> it would be basically the blood will have hardened or, or have dried a little bit. But yes. every year on the feast day, it becomes fresh again and then slowly starts uh, to dry up again. And so that, which is part of the thing. Can I just say one last thing that I found really cool about yeah. that one miracle? Yeah. One of the coolest things. Um, they, took, they took pieces of uh, the tissue, uh, tissue, sorry, pieces of the blood. So they took some blood from the Eucharist, and this is the United Nations, World Health Organization, took it, and one of the things that a scientist just can't get over, he was talking about it, and just, he's like, we took it, and we split it into five very unequal parts. 
Okay, he's like just five unequal parts and we, and we weighed them. And they all weighed 1.58 grams. And they're like, it can't, like this, this is much more blood than this one, but 1.58 grams. And then they decided to put them all, so there's five different pieces all weighing different, I mean, all weighing the exact same. I thought this is ridiculous. And they put it all together and all together the blood should weigh whatever, 1.5 times uh, five, but it actually weighed 1.585 grams. Oh. So together and separate, it was the same amount of blood, even though it was <laughs> looking oh, different size and everything yes. else. And the scientists were just, they thought it was their machinery. This is one of the reasons why they sent it to other universities to get other equipment tested on it. And same results in this study, which mm. is kind of like, these are miracles. These are things that flabbergast science scientists. Um, why aren't people looking into it? I think it's more just the skeptics of, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what the Catholic Church says. No, go look it up. L read, like, the scientists that have studied these, yes, they're Catholic now. You know why? <laughs> because it's blown their mind, yes. you know, and they these, become Catholic. These exist for the Thomases of yeah. the world. <laughs> that exactly. is, like, that come and see, like, yeah. <laughs> measure. So, Look into it. Look into uh, like like you said. Go visit a church. Do a pilgrimage to the church if you're having a hard time, or or just ask God to give you the grace and the the undoubting heart. Right? Mm -hmm. Show me, Lord. I know that myself. If there's times of doubt around the Eucharist and stuff, if I've ever gone to adoration, I, I feel uh, God has just completely wiped me of those doubts. You know what I mean? In adoration, or even sometimes at mass when I don't have my kids present. Uh, <laughs> And I'm actually able to focus on the mass, or I'm not doing something during mass music or altar serving or something like that. So when I'm going to mass, and like I'm asking God in His true presence right there, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what I mean? Just I say the words, I, like I believe that you're there, I believe, but I but I, I have doubt in my heart. Ask Him for that, and then maybe take some time in front of adoration and just let Him the peace that you're going to feel, the love you're going to feel, and everything else. If you look at that the results of your praying in front of the Eucharist or sun tanning uh, in front of the Eucharist. That's uh, like, that, that's just amazing. Yes, sun, S-O-N, right? <laughs> You're welcome. Sun tanning. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, uh, Matt mentioned Thomas. You know, Thomas has doubts. Jesus arrives on the scene to squash his doubts. These priests and people had doubts. These, miracle, these Eucharistic miracles are happening. Uh, maybe people have their own stories of when they had doubts or, or skepticisms about their faith, and the Lord revealed something to them, mm -hmm. right? But the Lord always comes to us to heal our, our, our doubt, to heal our, our skeptical uh, way of, of thinking. Uh, last thing before we sort of wrap up a little bit here is, uh, wh what were some of the most recent like, what were some of the most recent ones that Eucharistic happened? miracles? Like, are they still happening today? Yeah. In fact, not only that, but they're happening since 1990 onwards. So we have, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, six approved ones since 1990. And so there was one in 2006 in Tixla, Mexico. During a retreat, a religious sister was distributing communion, and all of a sudden it started to bleed. Okay, so you can look into that one. These are ones that the church approved. Now, the cool part about this, okay, I'm going to go on. 2008, Poland, consecrated host fell on the ground during communion, was put into water, and the tabernacle dissolved a week later. Most of the host was dissolved except for a red clot that remained. And so then, again, there's scientific proof and tests are done on this. 2013, uh, in Poland, consecrated host fell and was put in water, tabernacle. Two weeks, a red spot was discovered where about one-fifth of the host dissolved. And so going into that, they, they, these, are, these are happening now. 
The cool part about it is they test it, and they test it in different universities. Like Poland would test it in Poland universities first before they made it a big deal. Um, all the same results, AB blood, um, same, similar heart tissues, uh, left ventricle, under duress, right before death, all the same stuff comes back in every single test. Across which is just, the board. Across the, the board. Results. Just craziness, you know yeah. what I mean? So, Yeah, and I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, we were talking about Blessed Carlo Acutis. He sort of brought again, like people were like, oh, this kid made a website, and what did he do? He's directing people towards the Eucharist. So there was a, another sort of Flux. interest <laughs> yeah. there for Eucharistic miracles. We're talking about it today after the Feast of Corpus Christi, you know, and, and there's lots of resources online for people if you still want to dig in. There's lots of videos on YouTube yep. that show these, like the church in Lanciano where people can go. Uh, maybe there's a 24-7 cam there now with I, all this stuff. Probably. Not? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, people can, can certainly look at it. But most importantly, the next time people are at Mass, you know, think about it. Think about that. Think about this is the real presence of Jesus uh, you know, and how is that affecting the way I'm here, uh, participating in Mass, receiving the Eucharist, and then living my life after I leave Mass? Okay, we're gone way over time today because we got <laughs> so excited because the Eucharist is obviously one of our favorite topics and we love oh, yeah. uh, Jesus and that sacrament so much. But thank you for this conversation. Uh, and uh, we only have one episode left until we take a little bit of a pause for... Yeah the summertime. So next week is our final episode uh, uh, for the summertime. And then we'll continue again in the fall. And we're going to answer all the questions that we haven't answered <laughs> so far. People keep emailing Speed us. Round. Yeah. Keep people keep email, emailing us things. And we've been slow to answer because there's so much going on. Anyways, uh, if you have anything, uh, any questions about things we talked about today, uh, you can certainly email us. Uh, we'll try and get back to you. <laughs> at the Catholic Buzz Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, for Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan, my name is Father Daniele, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Catholic Buzz.